Good morning and welcome to uh, a sermon from Cornerbrook Baptist Church. It's being recorded for the 21st day of March. However, overnight there's been, as, as of this taping, there's been a magnificent fall of snow and it's a veritable wonder, winter wonderland outside. But again, this is a year when nothing seems to be what it actually is. And uh, we are desperately hoping that our church is going to be open again for the Easter season, which is just a just a couple of weeks away now. Uh, today, uh, after going out this morning and shooting some pictures of some of the scenes of the snow, I'd like to talk to you about developing a clear picture of Jesus. It took me back as I uh, did some preparation work this week to a couple of, maybe not a couple of summers ago, but many summers ago. And you'll know why in a moment. I took a, quite a number of pictures that summer, new places that we that we went to and and people that we visited. And here's where the clue is. I took the exposed film to a photo finisher. And when the photos came back, every single photo was blurred. Now, I used to be a photographer at one point in time. And to show these kinds of photos to family and friends would have been an absolute embarrassment. It bothers me that the that images can be lifeless, yet the negative seems so clear. I took the photos back and they were processed again. The finisher used the same settings as before and of course got the same results. Disappointed again. Finally, I convinced the lab to try something a little different. After three attempts, they turned out a set of prints that I was pleased with and remain pleased to this day. In thinking of that, I honestly think as well that much of modern Christianity is perhaps only a blurred image of a perfectly exposed negative. We've seen things that have happened in the media, and we watch things that people are saying and doing that certainly give us reason to think about that. If Christianity is judged by the character and commitment of the people who comprise its membership, we have to wonder if authentic Christianity is really being seen by those who are outside the church. There have been so many who have turned away from Christ because they have been scared or scarred by his followers. Others have been deeply hurt by church politics. Some people have never been able to see the difference between a Christian and non-Christian, and there are studies that indicate the attitudes and conduct seem to be somewhat similar rather than different. Go back with me in history for a moment. As a member of the British Parliament, William Wilberforce was the driving force behind England's abolition of slavery. He used his wealth and his influence for a number of good causes, including the cause of world missions and the formation of the British and Foreign Bible Society. He authored a book entitled Real Christianity, and its main thrust is this. Many people claim to be Christians, but what really distinguishes them from the rest of the world? In his real Christianity, Wilberforce points out the weakness and the inconsistency in the philosophy of those that he called nominal Christians. And he offered a scriptural basis for true Christianity. Now, it's notable that Wilberforce lived between 1759 and 1833, if there was an unreal Christianity 200 years ago. Chances are it still might be around today. 
You see, an unclear view of the church cannot be blamed on the government. It can't be blamed on the times in which we live or any other factor for that, for that matter. The view of Christianity which prevails today is really a view that the church itself has projected. If I put an unclear image in any of my <coughs> PowerPoint presentations, you'll not get a clear image on the screen. The church should be the processed image of God's perfect photography. Now, lest I be accused of being overly negative, <coughs> and here there's no pun intended, sorry but the coughing, there are wonderful reproductions of Jesus Christ. There are shining examples of his character all around us. There are people whose expression of Jesus is refreshing and clear. I have seen the face of Christ reflected in quiet strength and in powerful works of grace. Now, Paul desired, and here I'll go to my scripture reading, Paul desired that a clear view of Christ would be offered to the world. So to a church in a corrupt city, he wrote these, these words. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 <coughs> to chapter 5. And verse 2, I'll get over this, and trust you'll get through it. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you, Paul says, must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foot, foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now let me repeat those four pieces of advice that Paul offers in a little bit of an elongated form. This is to the Ephesian church, but by extension to us as well. Paul tells them to change their clothes. You see, the, but, uh, the Bible is a much clearer book than pe people think. When it comes to what defines a real Christian, then they're really a person who has put off the past like a piece of soiled clothing and put on Christ, who is our garment of righteousness. Taking off one outfit and putting on another is a deliberate act. Paul is completely consistent in this message, as he is in the message to the Romans where he says this, Chapter 13, verse 14. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think 
about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's very clear. Do you know one of the weirdest things in the world? It's someone who's wearing a mismatched outfit. I remember hearing a story about, about the famous Joe Mullins in Corner Brook when he was a CBC newscaster. He went on camera one particular evening with his neat shirt and tie and sports jacket and gave the news and weather in the usual manner. The camera kept following him, even when he thought the newscast was over and the film was stopped. Instead, we got an image of a well-dressed upper body and a pair of walking shorts and joggers on the bottom. It was hilarious, just as hilarious as country singers who believe that a stylish tuxedo on top is a good match with a pair of faded jeans. It's okay as if your style, maybe it just isn't mine. Likewise, as a Christian, we cannot try and wear the garments of both worlds. It sends a confusing message. Maybe to put it this way, the wardrobe of heaven will never correspond with the wardrobe of earth. Second thing Paul says is to check your chatter. There's nothing more confusing to this world than someone who talks to talk but don't walk to walk. I recall the Watergate era. When the President of the United States, Richard Nixon, was implicated in criminal activity and later lost his presidency. Now I know politics is a dirty business and I know how tough it is to get elected. But aside from the ethics of the Watergate scandal, it was absolutely shocking when someone who called themselves a Christian was caught on tape using the worst kind of profanity in those Watergate tapes. See, our words go far beyond even mere profanity. A changed life means changed character, and a changed person will have changed communication patterns. When we literally translate the words unwholesome talk, it means let no rotten words come out of your mouths. In my experience, rotten things normally stink, and perhaps that's where we got the term foul mouth. Speech is not independent of what's inside of us. There's a dose of reality in the gospel line that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul tells me in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. A mean temper and a sharp tongue is a, a way to transfer the blame for not completely putting on Christ. Bad language, corrupt speech, foul jokes, lies, angry speech, all these things will produce a foggy image of who Jesus is if the person who uses them calls themselves a Christian. We will have to deal with it. And as much as Paul admonishes us to deal with lying and stealing and bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And thirdly, Paul says to cleanse your conscience. We can train ourselves to get used to a lot of things. The patterns are life, of life are like the grooves in an old 45 RPM record. You remember them, or some of you will. They gave the same old sound when they're played with the same old needle on the same old equipment. Sometimes they skip. Sometimes they used to play the same words over and over again. You see, every time we take a shortcut to anything, we short-circuit the legitimate processes of life, and we shortchange ourselves as Christians of reflecting who Jesus Christ is. The disgraced preacher leaves a trail of cynics behind him. The bad cop deteriorates respect for law and order. 
Everything we do has consequences. But for a Christian to step over the line creates untold damage by someone who really should be doing better. So much of our moral code in this world has become relative. Beware of the advice that says you have a right to be happy. At what expense does happiness sometimes come? Beware of the voice that says it's a good cause. Will that good cause ever rise to embarrass us? And beware of the voice that coaxes us and says it's trivial, it's small potatoes. But sin, we should understand, is progressive. It blinds us and chains us and kills us, all in good time. On the converse, Jesus died to cleanse us. We sometimes are so superficial about faith in Christ. The cross becomes symbolic when really it should be deeply personal. Christ carried the sins of the world, and the Easter season just ahead will focus on that. Paul stated in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God judged the world's sin as it was being carried by his Son on the cross, poured out his cup of wrath, so that we might be free of sin's curse. Isaiah 53 captures it in a wonderful line that says, The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul gave the young pastor of Ephesus Church good advice about presenting Christ clearly. He told Timothy to fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Shipwreck is rather dire. And finally this morning, copy Christ. What an absolutely simplistic way to sum up the Christian life. If you want Christ to be seen clearly, act like him, imitate him. How do we discern whether someone is genuinely a Christian? Well, we can check their Christ-like index. Paul longed to identify with them. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, the apostle cried out, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Quite a magnificent goal. See, nominal, lifeless, listless, powerless Christianity is really an imposter. It changes nobody. It convicts us of nothing. Humanity must be confronted with the power of the cross beyond the raw agony to its redemptive truth. The unregenerate, self-serving world will rebel and attack the messenger. And perhaps in the human carnage of Jesus' passion, we see the authentic mission of the Gospels and the message of the Gospels, the absolute limit to which God will go to rescue us from ourselves and our deadly fate. See, if we are to be imitators of Christ, how are we expressing it? When we present ourselves before the generation we live in, our city, our family, our friends, how clearly is Christ seen? 
author Bill Morgan, relates that on a wall near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with the following inscription, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. Well, no literal portrait of Jesus exists either, but the likeness of the Son who makes us free can be seen in the lives of those who are his true, true followers. Folks, let's show the world the authentic Jesus. Let our lives develop to show a clear picture of him. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, we pray for one thing today, that in all of our ways, in our thinking, in our conduct in this world, that we will resemble Jesus Christ. Correct us when it is necessary to do so, Lord. Chasten us for the way that we live. And guide us by your Holy Spirit and through your scriptures to be the kind of people who show the real Jesus Christ. These mercies we ask today in his name. Amen. God bless you.